Greetings, everyone. This is Eric Stewart from Fishing Fanatics, and I got an awesome guest today, Colt Benedict, who's the owner and CEO of Jaw Tech Bait Company. So, how you doing, Colt? Wonderful. You can call me owner, CEO, showgirl, whatever you want to call it. I fit. I, I wear a lot of hats in this company. Oh, it's my Awesome, man. Well, it's good to have you here, and we're going to talk about JawTech and a lot of the stuff you guys got going on over there and the kind of the story about how that got developed a little bit later on in this podcast. But let's start. Um, I just want to dive into your fishing career, but then also even before that, how you got into fishing as a whole. Um, so why don't you kick us off, talk a little bit about how you got started fishing at the start. Yeah, well, it all eventually leads back to JawTech and starts with JawTech all the same way. My father growing up, he fished the Bassmaster 100 Series. He fished the Angler Choice Series all across Texas and the United States. And when he fished the Bassmaster stuff, that's when Jawtech growing and these kind of things. And the company was building, but I was a little kid. I had no knowledge of this. Like, this was all happening before I was there. And then the very first memories I have of my dad, my dad just fished. Like, I didn't think he made all this. I thought he just had all this to fish with. But it was a, it was a bug that I got pretty early in life is all I'm trying to say. I grew up with it, and when Dad quit doing this, he stopped fishing for a few years, and then we got back into it real quick. So I just remember lots of uh, days of skipping school because I got the fish flu or whatever, whatever he called it that day. But he uh, he poured into me in that. I got ups and downs. There's times where I was more into it than other times, but eventually it became something I was getting pretty good at. Um, I remember 2000 and. 9, 2010, the high school fishing still started to take off. And dad saw the opportunity. He said, this is cool. Let's go do this. And it was like I had a cheat code because my dad, I mean, dad was a top tier pro at one point and he taught me real well. So we go fish these high school tournaments and we did, we did well. Um, I was super into the, the tournament scene, was going to go down that path. And then all of a sudden it's time to go to college. So didn't know where I was going to go, started community college, but I remember I got a DM from a guy at Dallas Baptist University after I did a good high school tournament. He said, hey, we didn't trust you have you on the team. And I went, huh. I, I looked back at it like a year later. I said, I wonder if I could do it. So dad and I, we talked about it. And he said, go chase it. See if you can ha handle it. So it was a uh, eye-opening experience. Fishing in other lakes outside of Texas and our immediate area was a big learning curve. So what college fishing did, I learned to fish way broader in the United States. We fished everywhere from Minnesota all the way down to the Tennessee River areas and those kind of things. And that's what kind of set my footwork for this company. I learned, I paid a cl close attention to, to the, what to call it, the marketing end of this deal. I, I watched pros, I watched all this, and I was trying to figure out what made these pros where they could afford to do all this. Because I saw the price tags of fishing professionals. I said, there's no way. And then I learned about the sponsor deals and the actual the guys that did fish really well like Steve Kennedy that could pay for his way to go. But I knew that I did all the math. I said, okay, pro fishing's not for me. I said I don't I don't have the uh, the, the 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 want to not have a family because I have I had my girl my girlfriend at the time and my wife and I looked at all these things and I said, you know what? It's not gonna work. So I kinda tabled that dream. And that was the end of my fishing career. I would say I went through college, did it and I fished a few local things after that, but fishing kind of went away for a little bit of my life. Yeah, so then you graduate college, and then what happens? You kind of decide, okay, I, I need like a I, job, and then you go get so a job. I got, I got, a, I got an immediate 
really into the construction world. I would say my uh, my wife's dad, he had uh, he had four remodel homes that he wanted to work on, and I needed a job, so I got after it, and I learned the construction world. So um, that was residential remodeling, and then I got into the handyman work, and then eventually I started working in the school business world. So in school construction, school facilities management, those kind of things. And that was my career. And I kind of paved my way through that. I I had people pour into me. I had lots of guys and girls teach me these things. And I rolled with it because I've always been like, let's figure it out. I mean, who, who, who says you need to be an expert to go forward in something? So the uh, facilities management world led me down a path of getting into upper administration. And then boom, my dad has a stroke. Yeah. And we, we rip our lives apart. We're like, Okay, we gotta take care of dad. That was my whole family's mentality is how do we better help take care of dad? So my wife and I, we quit our jobs. We moved um an hour east back to our hometown to help that take better care of my dad. But that's where Jawtech got its idea back. So dad was working with my brother in law. They were kind of tinkering with the machines that were floating around, but never really got it going. And then sadly dad had a stroke. But I remember Dad was in a hospital bed and he asked me, he's like, you think you could figure this out? He said, you're, you're mechanically inclined. You can figure these things out. I said, sure, I'll give it a whirl. So I spent about four months tinkering and I made the first successful, we call it shot. First successful shot of bait. And then about a week later, I made the first successful run of bait. And I said, okay, this works. We got manufacturing. At that time, we thought we had manufacturing figured out. Looking back now, it was so bad and the baits weren't. 100 i mean they were like 98 percent. they were good but not not what we are today and i looked at my wife i said the housing market's crazy we can sell our house for a big profit let's do this because we like even though we lived in Fort, we still had our house in Fort Worth, mm-hmm. and we just both said you know we're young we can figure this thing out later so sold our house so we, we already quit our jobs at Fort. sold our house moved out here and we went head first into this thing i mean we didn't go feet first we went head first yeah it's got to be like crazy i know watching your tiktok videos and watch your like instagram really just like your story about how your dad had a stroke i didn't know it was that kind of crazy of like a he was literally in a hospital and he asked you hey can you fix these up yeah and then- so the 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 best thing when he had the stroke he, it took him down basically to where he was stuck in a wheelchair so there was no way he was gonna be able to continue the ideas that he had it just it was tough and my sisters and i my mom we knew that he might be in a wheelchair the rest of his life. So, Jawtech was a brain workout because after after patient after 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 Dad had the stroke, we needed to stretch his mind, and that's where it could overtake the mental parts of what a stroke does. So, when you're going through contemplating uh, big ideas, big big contemplated things of how to make this work or make that work, as simple as it sounds, it helps a stroke patient's brain put it back together at the end of the day because it's like you took the wires out of a distributor and sat here to make the car run good luck so we uh say so me and my family we we use Jawtech as that and eventually it turned into a business idea and eventually it became my full-time job it was for two years straight and right now it's my wife's full-time job i still i got back in the facility management world because i do have that longing passion for what i grew in my career prior to this that was it was not it was in the back of my head always so i'm getting to live two dreams right now two things i'm really good at and my wife gets to this full time and it runs and operates and we're super thankful for it so in about that was about two years ago you said we started so 
we started November of 21 that no November of 20. That was when the, that was when dad and I had that conversation about getting everything started. So that, that was the first deal. It probably took me a month before I even got out here to start tinkering with the machine. So put it about December and then January, I made like the first run of baits. And then by April of 21, I made enough product in my eyes that I was good at it, like good enough to actually like think of putting this up in retailer shelves and kind of those kind of things. And so April, I put my job in July of 21, we put product on the shelf, first place, Anglers Pro in North Virginia. That was our first store. And it's been a good relationship ever since, but it's been a whirlwind. But so it's after July of 21, we put it, I think 18 retailers in the first year, we doubled it to about 40 year two. And we're landing about, we're going to probably end up around 50 or 60 this year at the end of this. So we're adding about 20 retailers a year and different aspects of how to do this business. We didn't originally start selling direct consumer with all three retailers, but March of this year, we had to feed our baby. And that was something I was like, okay, let's launch a direct consumer website. I didn't necessarily want to do that, but it was a necessity. Said it helped. It ended up helping us grow more than we even imagined, because now we have a national, a much broader national recognition of anglers. Not a social media presence, but anglers using the product and talking to other anglers all across the country now. So mm-hmm. absolutely, it was definitely a blessing in disguise to do that. Yeah, you get everyone can kind of go on your website, right, and just pick up a bait whether they want it or not, and then yeah. they right now. I know one of your um one of your videos on TikTok is like, how can like normal people help or just people that like fish. Go to your local tackle shop, tell them about the bait, tell them that, you know, ask them if they have it, see if they can get some in stock and all that good stuff. And just kind of spread the word about Jaw Tech because you have a really cool story. It is a really cool company, too. And the baits you have are sick, which we'll dive in a little bit later on, too. Um, but the name Jaw Tech, I know the story is kind of cool about how that came to be. So tell me a little bit about how you guys came up with that name. So, like I said, this is prior to me and all my sisters. This is mom and dad were younger than me. Uh they, the original name of the company was Bruce's Manufacturing Company, and that was very uh, narcissistic, to say the least. Like, this is Bruce's Manufacturing Company. That's your dad's name, right? And, and was, huh? That's your dad's name? That was yeah. That was my dad's name was Bruce. So it it, it, it wasn't going to work. And they knew that, so they tinkered with a couple ideas. And one day, my mom and dad were sitting in the, uh, my grandparents' house where they did all the packaging of the baits and everything. And mom let you know, we have the tagline, Big Bass Technology. That's what that's what the Bruce's manufacturing big bass technology, and mom went every time you and your buddies have a big fish on, you say, "I got jaws on," because that was it was the eighties. So back in the seventies, when the jaws came out, so mom went, "Why don't you just call it Jaw Tech?" And like jaws and technology, Jaw Tech, and dad went, "That's it," and it stuck. And so we can credit my mom with creating the name Jaw Tech, probably in. 83 and a half, something like that. Because they technically launched the company in 84, but Bruce's manufacturing was started in 83, right? Like, that feels like so long ago, too, because I was born in 1999. And it's like, it's kind of it's cool to see you just carry on the legacy of your dad, too, and just keep making baits and keep spreading the word about Jawtech out there. It's pretty cool, man. And another weird part about, about Jawtech is, like, like we're, I was born in 95, you were born in 99. There was a complete generation of this company before you were born and I was at the very tail end of it so I don't remember this thing so I'm learning every day from older anglers friends of my parents people in the industry about my dad and the different aspect of who he was not my dad he was Bruce the fisherman or Bruce the jaw tech person or 
my mom was Charles C, not my mom, but Charles C, the lure manufacturing people. So I'm learning every day about from other people about this old company that I didn't know because I wasn't alive or had no recon re reconciliation of it at all. Right. Yeah. It's kind of like a blast in the past when like something happens before you, you kind of forget it. Like even like the old time baseball players, like I'm super into baseball, but like you, I can't really like think about it, but people will be like, oh yeah, this guy was the best. It's like, I don't even remember him, but I assume he was the best because I see like these videos and everything online. So it is definitely pretty cool. And then, so you, are you making all the baits there? Yes. So we're in, this is the house I grew up in. Uh, when, when dad shut down, he really mothballed everything. So he put the machines in the corner, put all the molds in the corner and just basically packed us together where it would, in his eyes, it wouldn't break. And, but eventually when we cracked into this, we turned everything on and nothing worked. Like the machines were smoking. The, the electrical was all fried from who knows what. I mean, it was 20 years, about what well, it was about. It was 19 years sitting without ever being touched. So when we cracked into them, it was a lot. And basically what it was, it was dad had the frames of the machine that, were, that he built and he had his old injection system and everything. And none of it really worked. It all leaked. It was all rusted up. So we had to rebuild everything. And it took me a better part of a year to get it semi-fine-tuned and another six months to get it to where it is right now. Where it sits right now, it injects plastic completely different than everybody else. It makes it almost a zero waste company. We like all the runners that baits come on have a centerpiece that's waste. I hated throwing that away because we were throwing away like a 13 gallon trash bag of them a day. And it was a lot of money, but it was also, it was going to landfill. And that's, that's, a, that's a truth. This industry is we make trash. So we try to eliminate how much trash is thrown in the landfill opposed to baits that end up being used and create memories and, put fish in the boat and those kind of things. So we, we pride ourselves on being nearly a zero waste company in that way. Gotcha. But the whole injection process is completely redesigned. Dad would be, uh, he would be amazed by it this day if he could see it. Cause it's, it's completely different and it's way more fine tuned and a safer process than it ever was. So by the time you get the machines up and running and everything's kind of cracking, how long was the learning curve to actually make the soft plastic wears get them like right get them dialed in the the first learning curve so the very first run of baits we make they look right you think man these are these are great and then you squeeze them and they pop like a pimple and you're like what in the world's happening what it was it was we were partially cooking this plastic so the exterior of the baits was fine but we couldn't have enough volume of plastic so you start injecting it, the outside fills, and when the inside's filling in, it's full of raw plastic. So it literally looked like a, pop, a pimple popping. And I gave those to buddies. and like, what is this? We've never seen this kind of bait. Because nobody makes these mistakes. Because I didn't know. I mean, like, I don't know why it's not cooking. So that was a, probably a, a two-month process and about another six months for me to get the, the machines as they sat running. Like how Dad had them. Like, just where their back just pointed or ground zero I should say this is where they should have been and then we made our first round of baits they went to retailer shelves they did all this and then we're right product and we're like well but I knew with these five or six different things I wanted to change on the machine so I kind of I ripped everything apart started over and then that's where we started building to where we were today and it's a very well-tuned machine now business owners and marketing professionals in the Philly area Bad Rhino takes the overwhelm out of digital marketing. 
with tailored digital marketing services. From social media management to SEO and PPC advertising, our expert team navigates the complexities of the digital ad space for your business. Let Bad Rhino lead you to success. Visit badrhinoinc.com and let's take your business to new heights. Bad Rhino, we do digital marketing so you don't have to. Gotcha. Definitely sounds like a like a tedious process. I used to make baits in my garage and it's a lot of trips to the the creek, just testing them out, coming back, fine-tuning stuff, taking them out again. Uh, it still doesn't work. Take it back to the garage, figure it out, tinker with the machine a little bit. So I could only imagine uh, the, the wear and tear that um that kind of puts on your mind a little bit when you're making bits. Yeah. The the good part about when we were making stuff is I had all this fishing experience in my life. So I knew what baits were supposed to look like. I knew how they were supposed to react. So I didn't, it's not like I was going this thing completely blind. I knew how the baits, the end goal, what they needed to look like and do. But the, the actual process of cooking the plastic and getting the salt to suspend right, making your colors look right, it's a guess. And it took time because... There's YouTube videos, but they don't translate to a machine. <laughs> and I've I've figured it out. It took a long time, but we figured it out. Awesome, man. Awesome. So at Jaw Tech, you guys have the Sultan, the Slug, the Stud Bug, the Wacky Crawler. You guys got a bunch of other baits too. Um, I'm gonna put you on the spot here and ask you yep. a question. Since we are in the summertime, what's your go-to summertime bait that you guys carry? The Sultan. The Sultan's a special animal. Uh. I don't have one floating around. They're all in bags. But let me grab one real quick. Yep. So the Sultan has two aspects to it that make it different than other 10-inch worms. The first, it's got ribs. There's not many rib 10-inch worms. When we decided, there's a couple rib 10-inch worms now that have come out of the market. But the other part was the ribs don't go all the way around the body. So if you see rounds out and this is all flat up here because the only problem with rib baits they don't hold a hook it's just a notorious problem so we call it my dad used the term eccentric is how we designed this bait and it gives you all the plastic to hook into on top of this rib on top of the body but then the ribs the the ribs collapse and it allows you to use a smaller hook like a five watt round bin hook opposed to a five watt ewg hook so that was the point of that and then all these ribs trap an air pocket, and they make this bait stand up taller. So I've got videos from ICAPS last year that sit in a tank, and that bait wants to stand, that body stands straight. And then you twitch it along, and here comes that tail swimming along. But that's the Sultan. That's my summertime bait through and through. I, say, I don't, I'm not a jig fisherman. We make the wacky crawl. It's a flipping bait for me, but I'm not a football jig fisherman. I never have been. These are 10-inch worms, 11-inch straight tail worms. That's what we fish with. But we're... The worst part about being a plastic manufacturer is you have to fish with plastics, and I am primarily a crack bait fisherman. I am a hard bait fisherman through and through. So I've had to teach myself to throw plastics more than I did before because I make them. So you got to believe in the product and prove that the product works for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. It's it. That's actually funny you hit on that. I did. I I always took you as like a soft bait guy because you literally own and make soft plastic baits. But you're saying you're more of a crank bait kind of guy. I I'm a. So when let's say back to dad's fishing back in the day, I mean he was he was the generation that figured out offshore fishing, and the uh, the Carolina rig was what he used to learn all this stuff. But then they came out with or they they learned that the Norman DD twenty two and the Man's thirty plus were open. 
ground cover like you could cover so much more area so that's what he started to fish with and that's what i remember growing up throwing we would drag a crankbait around as far as we could and get it as deep as we could to fish these road beds different kind whatever kind of structure brush piles all these different things so and then it translated to in college i learned that i could cover more ground with a crankbait than i ever could with flipping a plastic or dragging more around so I'm a, I'm a bird and turn kind of guy when it comes to fishing. I go fast. And I've learned now that the chatterbait world and the spinnerbait market fit my, or they fit my, back in the day, they fit my, my style better. So dragging a worm around was never my thing. But when we created the company, I said, okay, I'm more of a worm fisherman. And I've learned to be a much better worm fisherman now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool, man. Well, Colt, I appreciate you sitting down doing this quick discussion with me. Um, So ways that people, everyday anglers can help. Probably the biggest thing is just checking out your baits, buying a pack, and then telling the local tackle shop about it. Local tackle shop, tell your buddies. Like it's, there's a, the old mindset is when I found something good, I'm just going to keep it to myself. But what we've learned is we need to grow the sport and keeping these, these simple secrets. Obviously, if you have some like groundbreaking technology or groundbreaking technique, use it for a little bit, but you have to educate the world. And especially how our baits. We have baits that fit in different areas of the country. And if they don't tell their buddies about it, they'll never grow and we'll go away one day. So how you help us the most, tell your friends about us, tell Tiger Shops about us. Use the product, send us pictures so we can brag on you about it. We want to see your success because dad produced success stories since 84, 2000. I've been producing success stories since 2001 to now or 2021 to now. I love it. I love it. Cool, cold. Let's wrap it up here. I always like asking people what their PB largemouth and PB smallmouth is. Okay. So PB largemouth, I caught probably, I can't, I can't verify this. I might've caught the biggest fish ever on a spro frog, but it weighed 12 on a spring scale. And I'm, I need to talk to Dave Rojas to see what the biggest fish ever caught on a spro frog was. But that was uh, 2015. I caught that one. And that is the last really big giant one I've caught ever since. I've caught one ten power since then. And then my PB smallmouth, I caught a 485 on Lake Ontario on a French fry. Two, I'd say two years ago to the day almost. We were, it's almost like, yeah, two years to the day we were up on Lake Ontario and I caught a 484 smallmouth. The biggest one I've ever caught. Nice. And French fry is one of the baits you guys make, right? Yep. We make French fry. It was on a black one. We caught about 200 smallmouth in one day on a black french fry that day so that was it that was a good product testing but we proved that they our stuff does not just for large fish, it's for small fish too. i love it cool man well real quick i'll give you the stage where can people find you check out your baits and follow along with your story on like instagram tiktok and all those good stuff yes so our number one platform we reach people on is tiktok it, it's a growing platform it's more of a i call it a radio it's broadcasting like social media is more targeted TikTok is a broadcast thing. So that's how you can find us there, Jaw Tech Bait Company. And Facebook, Instagram, it's all the same thing, Jaw Tech Bait Company. Um, you want to buy our products at jawtechbaits.com. You want to find our dealers. We just got a dealer map added to the website. Super fancy looking now. We look like Berkeley almost. But click the dealer tab. You can find one of our 40 shops all across the country, even Texas, Oklahoma, Florida, Arkansas, North Carolina, Pennsylvania. We're growing. So find a dealer. Go check out our baits, see what they've got, support a local company because they're the people that help us feed our babies and we want to help feed their babies too. I love it. Colt, I appreciate you jumping on this, doing the podcast with me. Can't wait for this one to air too because I love your story.
You just listened to the Fishing Fanatics podcast with your host, Eric Stewart. Feel free to check out our other podcasts and our other interviews on our channel on Spotify, YouTube, and much more. Check out our Instagram page, TikTok, and Facebook as well. Thank you.